Hey guys, welcome back. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, if not, welcome. We're so excited to have you. My name is Brennan, and I am teaching the Fuel College Young Adults class here at North Boulevard Church of Christ. Um, if you want to follow us, see any of our um, previous videos, previous lessons, um, we are at northboulevard.com slash ministry slash classes slash fuel. We're on Facebook as Fuel um, forward slash North Boulevard. We're on YouTube as the North Boulevard Fuel class. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns from me, um, Brennan Alexander at mtcscougars.org. Would love to hear from you. Would love to talk to you. So if you're tuning in with us, this is the second part of our series on Job. Now, Job is kind of known as the guy that got the, some of the worst um, run of luck in the Bible in that he was very well known to be one of the most righteous and godly men that there was. But Satan decides that he thinks that Job's faith is only based because he has great things. Job was very wealthy. He had a great, beautiful family. And so Satan goes before God and says, hey, you take all those things away. He won't love you anymore. And so God says, okay, go ahead, try. And Satan does. And still Job blesses the name of the Lord. So Satan says, well, maybe it's his physical health. You know, the fact that he's okay. He's not sick. And God says, okay, try. But still Job um, bless the Lord. So we talked about that two of the big things out of that were that one, physical possessions don't reflect our righteousness. Job was one of the most righteous men in the world at the time of the writing of the story. And still he lost everything. He was loved by God, was singled out by God, but still lost everything. The things we have do not reflect God's love for, what, for us. And likewise, our physical health does not reflect our righteousness. Whether we are sick, whether we are well, whether we are strong, whether we are weak, that does not reflect how much God loves us, does not reflect God's care for us. And then finally, and this is the biggest thing out of this passage last week, Satan is alive and well. Um, he does have power on earth. He does have influence. He is working as the enemy, as the tempter, trying to sow um, sorrow and discord. So on that happy note, we pick back up with the story of Job. So we're going to pick up in Job chapter 3. So Job is literally sitting kind of out in the middle of, um, in front of his house. And so he's lost all of his sons and daughters. He's lost his herds of livestock. Um, his wife herself has told him just to curse God and die and be done with it. And Job calls out, why was I not stillborn? Why didn't I die as I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me, and why was my mother there for me to nurse? Now I would certainly be lying down in peace. I'd be asleep, and I could be at rest with the kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruined cities for themselves, or with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not hidden like a miscarried child, like an infant who never sees daylight? There the wicked cease to make trouble, and the weary find rest. Job does just kind of want to die. He's sad. He has lost everything. He's ill, he's covered in lesions and boils, his children have died, his wealth is gone, and he kind of just wants to die and be done with it. Go to heaven and call it a day. And so at this point, three of Job's friends arrive. They sit with him while he mourns, and his three friends arrive and decide that they want to offer him some insight on what they think and how they think he should respond and what he should do. So his three friends are Eliphaz, Bilad, and Zophar. So Eliphaz is from Timon, the city of wisdom. It was well known as a place of intelligence. And so you 
it's kind of expected that Eliphaz is going to be the insightful one. He's going to have good ideas. He's going to have good suggestions. Bilad is kind of known for being no nonsense. And Zophar is fully pitiless to everything that Job goes through. So each of them offers Job advice on what they think happened and why, they, why and how they think um, he should remedy what's happened. So Eliphaz goes first. He stands up in Job chapter 4, starting in verse 4, and he said, Your words have steadied the ones who were stumbling and braced the knees that were buckling. He's speaking to Job. But now that this has happened to you, you've become exhausted. It strikes you and you are dismayed. Isn't your piety, your confidence, and the integrity of your life your hope? Consider who has perished when you're innocent. Where have the honest been destroyed? So Eliphaz is kind of trying to be tactful about it, but he kind of calls Job a hypocrite. He says, man, you've told everybody else God protects, God provides. You know, how dare you be sad? You know, what, what's the big deal? You tell everybody else that, you know, God's will is God's will. But now that, you know, you're in a tough spot, you want to be upset. Which is kind of brutally insensitive when you think about it. This man has lost everything, lost his family, lost his home. And he's basically saying, can you get over yourself? And furthermore than that, he says, who has perished when he was innocent? And where have the honest been destroyed? So Eliphaz is blaming Job for his suffering. Basically saying, if you're as innocent and as righteous as you say you are, none of this would have happened. And he takes this opportunity where he should be comforting his best friend, you know, trying to provide him strength through it and basically saying, it's your fault. You need to get over it. And he tries to be tactful about it. But time and time again, he speaks and he says, as I have seen, as I have heard. And he speaks from his own wisdom. He basically tries to tell Job, I know better than God does. I know better than you do. Here's what you need to do. And I think this is a place to stop and point out that this is one of our challenges as Christians. We are surrounded by people very, very often who struggle and are suffering some sort of heartache. That can be a physical ailment. They can be sick. They can be hurt. They could have lost a loved one. They could have lost a job. And so often we, we want to be so quick to explain what happened. Well, obviously, this is the reason that you're upset, and this is the reason you're um, uncomfortable. This is the reason that this has happened. And a lot of times, we kind of push the narrative that, you know, ultimately, this is your fault. Um, Eliphaz goes on in Job chapter 5, start picking up in verse 3. He says, I've seen a fool taking root, but I immediately pronounced a curse on his home. His children are far from safety. They are crushed at the city gate with no one to rescue them. The hungry consume his harvest, even taking it out of the thorns. The thirsty pant for his children's wealth. For distress does not grow out of the soil, and trouble does not sprout from the ground. But humans are born for trouble, as surely as sparks fly upward. So for distress does not gr grow out of the soil, and trouble does not sprout from the ground. Essentially, he's saying, there's no way this would have happened to you if you didn't do something to deserve, deserve it. And this is a line of thinking that's very, very dangerous in our, in our faith. Um, a lot of times we assume that, you know, if somebody loses a family member, if somebody is sick, if somebody suffers some sort of pain, we want to say, well, you know, obviously you've done something to upset God. And that's such a backwards way to look at suffering, right? God calls us to be there for, for our friends, to comfort them, to provide them uh, strength in times of mourning when they don't have that strength. But so often we want to be like Eliphaz and we want to say, and we try to do it tactfully, which is something that's very important that Eliphaz does try to do. He tries to be poetic about it. He tries to be thoughtful about it. If you know, I hate all this happened to you, but you know, if you, if you thought about it 
And you know, how, how often do we do that? You know, I, I know you lost a friend, but you know, we, we, we told you that if, you know, you ran around with people of that sort, that something bad might happen. You know, I know that you hate it that such and such passed away, but if they, you know, they didn't have faith so that it, they were doomed to it, you know, you knew it was going to happen. And it's just such a backwards way to look at comfort and to look at suffering. And so Job um, takes a pretty good bit of offense to what he said. And picking up in chapter 6, he tells him, Teach me and I will be silent. Help me understand what I did wrong. How painful honest words can be. But what does your rebuke prove? Do you think you can disprove my words or that a despairing man's words are mere wind? No doubt you would cast lots for a fatherless child and negotiate a price to sell your friend. So Job essentially says, okay, if you're so sure I've done something wrong, if I've earned this, if I've deserved it, tell me, what is it? Please, I'm, I'm begging you, show me what I have done to have brought this on me and to brought this on my family. And this is kind of a place where Job is trusting in the goodness of God. Um, he tells his friend, I don't believe that God would inflict this on me with no, per, um, with no purpose, but also I know that I have been adamant in following him and these things have still occurred. Don't tell me that I have not lived my life for God and that I've brought these things on me. And so in that rebuke, it kind of shows us an attitude of what we need to be to people. You know, when he says that, when he says that you think you can disprove my words or that a despairing man's words are mere wind, sometimes people don't want an explanation in times of comfort they, or in times of despair. They don't want to be told, this is the reason, this is the why, this is the how. Sometimes people just need comfort. And that's what Job tells his friends. I don't need you to push on me what I did wrong and why I did wrong. I need you to be there for me. I need you to comfort me. And he goes on in um, chapter 7 and even says, What is a mere human that you think so highly of him and pay so much attention to him? You inspect him every morning and put him to the test every moment. Will you ever look away from me or leave me alone long enough to let me swallow? If I have sinned, what have I done to you, watcher of humanity? Sidebar, I think it's one of my favorite passive-aggressive comments in the Old Testament that he calls his friend watcher of humanity for being um, judgmental. But why have you made me your target so that I have become a burden to you? Why not forgive me and pardon my iniquity, for soon I will lay down in the grave. You will seek me and I will be gone. Job's asking his friends to just be a friend, to be supportive, to be kind in a time of struggling and a time of suffering. And he calls um, Eliphaz out. And Eliphaz is kind of taken aback. Um, kind of has this moment of realization of, oh, I, I may have messed up. And so that's actually where we're going to stop this week. Um, we're going to pick back up next week and finish out the book of Job. But the three things I want to take you away. Um, sometimes your friends can offer wise counsel. They can in times of distress. But that counsel can also be damaging. It can also be hurtful. And a lot of times as Christian, we misuse our chances to help those that are hurting by trying to use, explain things away, by trying to shift a focus onto things that are, um, you know, we try to explain things in our terms. Again, we've talked about this kind of throughout um, this whole series. We think we know more than God. We assume that we can explain his decisions. We assume that we can explain what's going on. And we try to use our wisdom to explain the actions of the divine. Um, but finally, and Job does this, you have to trust in the goodness of God. 
Even in difficult times, even in death, even in destruction, even in pain, we have to trust that God's purpose is clear and His purpose has intent and that eventually something is going to come from it. Now, I think one of the bigger challenges that Job kind of addresses here is sometimes people aren't ready to hear that just yet. So as Christians, yes, we are called to point towards um, God's plan. Yes, we are called to point toward God's purpose. But we are also called to be comforting and kind and loving. Those conversations can happen. But sometimes somebody just needs a hug, man. They need a hug. They need an arm around the shoulder. They need to be told, you're okay. Um, I'm here. I can listen. And they don't need solutions. That's Job's whole thing. His friends are trying to tell him, well, if you hadn't done this, if you hadn't done that. And he's like, I don't need that right now, guys. I just need somebody to listen. I need somebody to be here and to support. And as Christians, we're called to do that, to love and support people through difficult times. We can help them figure out the rest later on down the line, but to comfort and to love and to support. Um, so with that, I'm going to cut it a little bit early this week. Um, we'll probably finish out the book of Job next week. And yeah, I'm going to say a prayer and we're going to get out of here. Um, God, thank you so much for um, your word. Thank you for your wisdom. Um, God, thank you for... The gifts you give us, and God also thank you for having a plan, having an intention, and knowing the direction that things um, things are going to go. Um, we ask you give us the discernment to be okay when we don't know that just yet. Oh God, we ask that you give us the patience to comfort, that you give us the um, strength to lead, and that God, most important, you give us ears to listen. And um, yeah, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.